All right, well, you can uh, open your Bibles right now. We're going to get into uh, God's Word. Excited to do that uh, with you as we jump into uh, a brand new series here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can turn there now. Now, we've all heard the phrase before that, um, you know, I could take it or leave it. Right? You ever heard that before? You've probably uttered that phrase before. Uh, maybe that's how you feel about Italian food. Right? I don't know how you could possibly feel about, the, uh, about it like that because Italian food's amazing. Uh, but some people are just like, meh, you know, either way, you know, I could do with or I could do uh, without. Or maybe that's how you feel about like, going to the movies on a Saturday night. You're like, yeah, that could be fun, but I could also you know, stay home and watch something or do something else. You know, I'd be fine either way. Well, that, that take it or leave it mindset and, you know, attitude is the, is, is the very place that many professing Christians are when it comes to the church, right? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I really need the church all that much. You know, again, I could, I could take it or leave it, right? And that approach, really what that does is it conveys a lack of understanding of and commitment to Something that God wants all of us, all of his children, to be 100% all in committed to. That's what he wants. And so today, as I said, we're going to be starting our new series over the next seven weeks. We're going to be going through this. It's called Uncommon Community. We're going to be highlighting really the, the, kind of, the kinds of relationships and fellowship and the, com, uh, the community that, that, that we believe that God wants to build here as Harvest Bible Chapel. These are the kind of relationships that we want to have and we want to go after. Now, you might be thinking, why the word uncommon? Right? Why, why would you use the word uncommon? Well, because, listen... Because there is simply nothing like the church when the church is clicking. Right? There is nothing like it. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You know, the sense of, the sense of purpose, the sense of, of belonging, the, the life-giving relationships, the joy that can be found here, the healing and the growth in your life. God's power and presence is found here when the church is in a great place. And let me tell you this, you flat out will not find that anywhere else. You're not going to find it at, you know, the Lions Club. You're not going to find it with your, you know, yoga friends. You're not going to find it with your, you know, your motorcycle buddies or at the local bar. Now listen, some of you might be tempted to think, well, I actually think I have found better community outside of the church. And I think that I have experienced those things outside of these walls and outside of these people. And here's what I would say to you if you've experienced that. It just means that you have not experienced the church the way God intends it. That's really it right there. And that's really a sad uh, commentary on the way things sometimes go uh, in the church. All right? So it's uncommon because it's unique. It's uncommon because it's, it's special. You know, uh, you know, a community so amazing that, you know, a, a take it or, or leave it attitude is nowhere to be seen because God is here because God is at work, and because people truly love each other, and we're welcoming to people, and we are investing each other in a way that, again, you can't find any, anywhere else, right? The kind of culture that people see, and they, and they see the relationships that are happening here, and they're like, man, I want in on that. I want to be a part of that, too. 
And so that's why we're doing this series. I think it is timely. I think it is great. I am looking forward to seeing how the Lord works in my heart. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Lord works in your heart as well and completely uh, rejuvenating and transforming the way our local church here moves and operates and cares for each other. And so this series, it actually comes uh, out of something that they did at Harvest in Chicago. And our small groups uh, throughout this series are going to be working through this Uncommon Community uh, workbook. We're going to be going through the seven chapters, and the seven sermons are going to be um, kind of in line with all of that. And so it's kind of a different thing than what we normally do with our pulpit curriculum, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about looking at how we can truly love each other and glorify the Lord in all of this. All right, so this is kind of the first, this is kind of the intro talk, and then we're going to look at a lot of the one another verses uh, as we go from here, all right? So it's going to be a great series. I'm really pumped about this. Let's read it right now. Let's get into God's Word. So this is 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12 and reading down to verse 27. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, bes we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which the, our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God, we thank you for uh, what we believe will be a powerful and life-shaping, transformational uh, time as we spend the next seven weeks getting into your word and looking at what is the kind of church that you want to build, Lord. Lord, we know that you want to build a church that, that glorifies you, and we know that you want to build a church that honors you, and Lord, we're excited to look at what are the specific things that get towards that goal. And so, Lord, as we look at um, today, the idea that we need each other. Lord, we need each other as the church. Life is not meant to be you know, lived in isolation. God, I pray that we would understand this, that we would take this to heart, Lord, that we would desire change and desire growth and desire your glory above our own. Lord, would you make your word come alive here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so you are not an island. You are not an island. That is the title here this morning. And it's meaning, as I just said, that life is not meant to be lived in isolation. We need each other. We need each other. And I heard this before. I think this is really good. Life is inescapably relational. Life is inescapably relational. Now, 
the challenge that many of us have kind of deep down in our hearts, and maybe it even comes up to the surface quite a bit with you, the challenge is that we tend to lean away from all of that, don't we? We tend to kind of back away and think that, no, I, I, I don't need other people. And we hold people and we hold, you know, the church even at, at arm's length. And we try to keep them out here. And I'm, I'm good enough on my own. And uh, I could take it or leave it. Right? And why do we do that? Well, we do that because relationships and investing in other people is hard work. Right? And it, and it is messy at times. And it can get, you know, very complicated or again, maybe it's because, you know, we live in such an individualistic society where it's like this, you know, the lone ranger mentality that, you know, I can do it my way and, you know, I can do it by myself and I don't need any help, whatever. That, that mindset is, is so encouraged and so celebrated and so ingrained in us uh, that we've bought right in. Right? And we all you know, erect fences in our backyard and we all you know, drive home after work and shut the garage door and go home and we often isolate ourselves and we don't think about communion and we often don't think uh, that we need it. Okay? So what we need to learn here today, today is that I need the church and the church needs me. I need the church and the church needs me. It's believing that we're better together. We're better together, not on my own, not doing my own thing, but with other followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's certainly God's plan for us. All right, it really is. After all, through Christ, I am the church, right? I am the church. We all are. And that's really the first thing uh, as we jump into this. You'll see it in your notes. Now, a mindset that's really easy for us uh, to fall into here is the idea that church uh, is simply something that exists outside of me, right? It's something that I go to, I get up in the morning earlier than I would like to in many cases, right? And I, I jump in my car and I drag my family and we go to a building, right, uh, that, that, that we then meet in, right? And it's, it, we can see it as a, an organization. Um, right? I, I can get involved in it as much or as little as I want, just kind of like any other club or any other social scene. Now, well, a lot of that is, is true, Right? There are, you know, Harvest Bible Chapel, we are an organization, you know, of sorts. You know, we do meet here in a building, and that's important. We come together, and it, you know, it happens once a week at least, you know, that we gather here to worship. Right? We all attend a place. That's why we're here. Okay, we have to understand that it's so much more than that. Right? That's not the entirety of what church is. Church isn't just a location or a place. Church is the people. Like church is the people, it's, it's you and I as, as followers of Jesus Christ, right? You and I are the church. Now our passage here today, as we've already read it, you've seen it, it describes the church as a body. It describes the church as a body. We're all, we're all parts together operating to make up one a body. Now we need to understand that on, I would say, two levels. First of all, we need to understand that on a global body, a global level Right? All true Christians everywhere make up the worldwide church, the universal church. Right? So you could you know, travel to Sri Lanka next week and go run into some Christians and you're, you have this automatic bond because you are all part of the family of God together. Right? So there's a global level, a global sense in which you know, we are the church. But then, of course, we need to understand it on a local level. Right? Every true Christian in this room here together are gathered to make up this local body. 
this local body that we call Harvest. And of course, there are other local churches that meet all around here uh, in this area as well. And so the, the Bible, you have to understand, the Bible kind of teaches both. It teaches that we are all part, all Christians across the world, across time and generations are part of the local worldwide or the worldwide body of Christ. And then it encourages us also in the scriptures to invest, to get involved with a local body, a local body. And I trust that's why you're here. All right, so let's see what this all looks at, looks like. Let's get into uh, the verses here. Take a look at verse 12. Okay, verse 12, he says this, he describes, he says, for just as the body, okay, so now what he's, he's doing is he's actually describing a physical body. Okay, so just think about your body sitting there uh, in your chair, okay? It says, just as the body ha- is one and has many members or parts, okay, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, And so now what he does is he jumps into, he begins to describe Christ and his church, right? He just begins to describe you and I. Now, if you want to jot this down, this is a great verse to help you kind of understand how all this works. It's uh, uh, Colossians 1, verse 18. Colossians 1, 18. In that, it says that, that Jesus, he is the head of the body, his church. Jesus is the head. So he is, this is the way we want to look at it, he is the leader of his church, he is the captain, if you will, of the team. He is, he is the king. All right, keep going. It says, for in one spirit, we were all, look at that word, baptized into one body. Now, I think what often happens when we, think, when we see that word baptized, we automatically think of the word, uh, we think of water baptism, right? We've done a bunch of baptism services before in our church and baptized a number of people, and that's all really exciting, and it's all really good. However, that's not what this is actually talking about here. It's not saying that you need to be baptized in order to be part of the body of Christ. It's actually referring more to uh, salvation. Salvation. When you truly trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, okay, you, you enter, you are baptized into, you, you become the body of Christ. Right? You become the church. And it says there that that's true whether you're, well, what does it say? It says whether you're, you're a Jew or a, or a Greek, you're a slave, or you're free. It says, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. All right, so no matter, you know, what your background is, what your ethnicity or your, you know, social standing, your popularity, your economic status, right, the, the family of God, the, the body of Christ, the church, it's for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, right? The church is for everybody if you're saved, right? If you're saved, and it says there, if you drink of one spirit. Again, this is, this is talking about salvation. It's referring to, to salvation and the Holy Spirit that is given to us the moment that we, that we give our lives over to the Lord, right? The Spirit is given to us as a gift in that very moment. Once that happens, you are the body, you are the body of Christ. You are the church. Now, if we can learn to, you know, truly buy into that, you know, buy into the, the reality that the church isn't just, you know, the pastor, you know, and the elders or the leadership or, you know, the ministries and, you know, the building and the property and all of that type of thing. It's not just an, an external entity outside of ourselves, but it's actually, it's actually you, Right? It's actually me. If we can buy into all of that and you believe that you're not an island just going through life solo and I can do it all myself, I mean, just imagine the relationships that would begin to develop here. 
right? As we realize, wow, no, I, we're all part, we're all in this together, and we all need each other, right? You think about it, if you've ever, like, sprained your ankle or something like that, the rest of the body feels it. It hinders the way you move and live and, and operate, right? Every single person is necessary, right? And we hopefully get to the place, again, with the buy-in of this mentality that, you know, that I don't want to keep people at arm's length anymore. I want to make sure that the body of Christ here locally in our church is healthy and it's in a good place and it glorifies God. Right? Can you imagine that? Just this life-giving community where we love each other well, where we care for each other's needs, where we support each other, where we call each other to account and there is a high standard of biblical living. You know, we are in, in unity and, and in harmony together under Christ as the head. Can you imagine that? How amazing would that be? That's what we're going for. Now, we're going we're gonna to build on all of this as we go here, not just through this message, but also, of course, through the rest of this series. But I can't really move on without urging some of you, if you have not become a, a member of the body of Christ, to do so today. And I'm not talking about, you know, our integration process. I'm not talking about, you know, filling out a, a membership application. I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about salvation. Right? You need the church, and the church needs you. But first of all, you need Christ more than any of it. Right? You need Christ. And so I would really challenge you to think and consider and receive Jesus Christ as Lord today. You have to, of course, recognize and understand that the thing keeping you from becoming part of the body of Christ and getting saved is something called sin. It's how you have, you have missed the mark of God's standard. You fall short of his glory. Any sin that you have done has, has created this chasm between you and God that you cannot fix through your morality, through good behavior, through anything that you can do. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross to pay the penalty that you should have paid. But you couldn't possibly. Because you weren't righteous enough. You weren't good enough. God knows that. And so he wants to provide a way for, uh, for you to be saved. He did it through his son, Jesus Christ. So listen, to become a Christ follower today, it, it starts with recognizing that your sin is a barrier. It's a barrier between you and God. And then believing that when Jesus went to the cross, he did everything that it took to secure your salvation. Would you do that? Would you do that today? And once you do, you're part of this amazing thing called the church. And the support and the love and the care and the relationships that, that are waiting for you on the other end of that will be so much more amazing than anything you could ever, ever experience. Right? You need Christ and you need the church. We all do. Here's the second thing. I need the church and the church needs me. And the diversity here is actually a really good thing. The diversity is a really good thing. Take a look at verse 14. We're going to go through a little chunk of this here. It says this, for the body, okay, so he jumps into talking about the, the physical body again. He says, it does not consist of one member or, or part, but of many. For if the, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body either. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense 
be of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, I love this, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. Right? He made us all unique and brings us all together. Right? If all were a single member, where would the body be? And so what is he doing? He's kind of painting like a, a picture that's made you, meant to make you think, that's ridiculous. But right? if you think of us as just an ear, like I'm just a huge ear standing here, right? You're kind of chuckling already. You're like, that's insane, right? He's like, exactly. That's the whole idea. Diversity is good. We need different people, different gifts and skills and all of it in order to be a good, healthy church. Okay, he says, as it is, keep going, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then he kind of comes at it from another angle. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And so he's saying some of those with, with different gifts than you or different abilities and all that, we want to honor them. We don't want to look down on them. They are just as much important and, and, and vital to the health of any church uh, as anybody else. And then he says there, but God, he kind of repeats it, he said it earlier, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. All right, now I don't know about you, but when I read through that, what kind of jumps out at me, okay, is just, again, how vital every single person is to the function of a healthy community. Right? Every, every person. Now, the, the Corinthians problem here, so I'll give you a bit of context and why this was being written, is the, is the Corinthians, what they were doing is, is they were actually putting an unhealthy emphasis on certain gifts and certain strength to the neglect or maybe the, the minimization of others. And what that was doing is that was starting to destroy unity in the church. And, and some people thought that they were, you know, they were better and other people felt like they didn't belong and people were looking down on each other and it was not a good scene. And so Paul, he spent the first 11 verses of chapter 12 kind of talking about the, very, uh, the, the various different gifts that are in the church and how they're all super important and necessary in, uh, in how it all operates. Okay? So just like how a, how a physical body would be you know, incomplete and, and somewhat useless if the entire thing was you know, a foot or a mouth or an eye or an ear, okay? so, the, so the church body is, is, is incomplete and, and ultimately ineffective uh, and unbalanced if there aren't, again, a variety of people with, with different skills and, and, and coming from different places, different, different ages and, and, and people groups and ethnicities and, of course, spiritual gifts. And so we need a church to be well-rounded. That's what we need here at Harvest. If I were to you know, look down on somebody because they didn't have a teaching gift, that wouldn't be great. Right? We need people with a hospitality gift. We need people with the gift of, of mercy. We need, we need people who love to work with kids. We need people who love to work with adults. We need to be well-rounded in all of this way. Every single person is important. And again, why would he write this? Why would the Apostle Paul spend time talking about this and going into detail about how the body has to work together? Well, because I think this highlights something that we naturally chafe against, and that is diversity. We do not like diversity. Now, we would never say that, 
We would never say that, you know, generally speaking, we wouldn't say, like, I'm better than that person, or that person needs to be more like me, or, you know, that person's way better than I would. We, we wouldn't make, that wouldn't come out of our, our mouth, necessarily. But we don't like diversity. We like gathering with people who are just like me. We want to gather with just people of our own age. You're going to hear that, young adults, on Thursday. It's not about just, you know, isolating yourselves in your own little group here. It's about actually getting involved in the life of our church, right? We don't just want all the seniors hanging together. We don't just want all the, you know, 30-somethings hanging. We want, you know, we need diversity. We need, we need each other. And again, I think this all kind of rears its ugly head in the church in the area of comparison. Comparison will rob the church of so much. You ever done that? You ever compared yourself to somebody? Of course you have. We've all done it. I have. And really, comparison really plays itself out in, in kind of one or two ways. And you see this happening. He, he kind of pulls it apart in the scripture here. Right? Maybe you're like the, the foot or the, or the ear in verse 15 and 16. Right? You, you look around at people and, and you think, well, well I'm, not as, I'm not as good or I'm not as, I'm not as awesome as the, as the hand or the eye. Right? They've, they've really got it all together. That person has what, what I want. That person is the valuable one. And so as a result, you start to see yourself as less valuable. You know, you start to see yourself as, well, I, I don't really have anything to contribute here. And, and, and you know, and I'm kind, of, I'm kind of useless. And, you know, what do they need me for? And, you know, and as a result, maybe you, again, you hold church community and the people here at arm's length. And you're like, I'm not going to get involved, and I'm, I'm not going to invest in people, and I'm not going to use the gifts that God has given me, and I'm not going to encourage people. I'm not going to disciple others to the glory of God. Because you compare yourself to others, and you think that you don't stack up. And so though technically you are here, physically you are present, and you come and you attend in many other ways, you're a million miles away because you compare yourself to others and you think that you're inferior and you love to live on the periphery of community life here at Harvest. And because of that, again, you're robbing yourself. But hey, listen, you're robbing others too. You need to get involved and you need to get invested. Okay, here's the other comparison danger. Okay, and really all it is is at the other end of the spectrum. Okay, so in one, in, on one hand, you compare yourself, maybe you compare yourself to others and see yourself as inferior. Well, can you guess what the other side is? Okay, maybe you're like what it says in verse 21, right, where the eye and, and the head says to the hand and the feet, I have no need for you. Don't need you. Yet you're not good enough. Okay, in other words, you compare yourself to others and you see yourself as superior. I'm better than them. If only they were like me. You know, if only they had my gifts, if only they had my charisma, if only they had my spiritual maturity, then our church would be better, right? I don't need you, right? What is that? That is an elitist, pharisaical mindset. It really is. And the Lord is not, not honored by it. And maybe that's you. You kind of see yourself as, as better than others and, and as superior, and you look down on your nose, down your nose at them, and, and you kind of think that, you know, our church would be better if everyone was as awesome as me. 
I'm going to tell you right now, if everyone was as awesome as you, our church would be lame. Right? It's true. We need the well-balanced approach. All right? So whether we have or whether you have, you know, the inferiority complex or, or the superiority complex, your problem is essentially the same. Do you realize that the root is the exact same? What is it? It's self-centeredness. It's self-centeredness. You care primor- primarily about yourself. You, on, on one hand, the person is you know, they're thinking so much about themselves and looking inward and comparing themselves to others and thinking that, that they don't stack up. Again, the focus is all on them. The other person, they're comparing themselves to others and thinking that they're better than everybody else. Again, the focus is on them. It's pride. It's arrogance. And every time that you do that in your heart or it plays itself out in all kinds of ways, what does that do? It's like you grab an axe and you just start chopping away at the foundations of the uncommon community that we're going for. And you're breaking it all apart. Diversity is a really good thing. We need each other. My gifts bring strength to the community here. Your gifts bring strength to the community here. Right? That's what makes a church great. That's what makes a church culture something that people want in on. Right? They should come through these doors and, and automatically recognize that the Spirit of God is at work. And wow, there's something, there's something different here. And people aren't backbiting and, and going after each other and hurting each other. And there aren't you know, divisions and you know, disunity happening all over the place. It's not, it's not happening here. Right? It's because the Lord is at work. Because we don't compare, because we realize that the diversity is good. And when we, when we realize that and when we start going after that and we commit to building that, just watch disciples grow. Watch it happen. You know, watch the Lord get glory. Watch the Lord show up here in power every single week and throughout the week in our small groups and in our various ministries. People are going to be transformed and the Lord is going to be honored. And hey, listen, I'm pretty sure that that's like our mission around here or something. Right? I think that's on like a banner. We maybe saw it when we came in. I don't know. But what's our mission? Right? To glorify God to the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. Right? So we want to glorify God through the great commission, which is what? Make disciples. Is that going to happen if we're you know, attacking each other? If, is that going to happen if we're not you know, all about diversity? Is that going to happen if we're not committed to being a healthy church? No, it's not. People are ultimately going to leave, and it's not going to be good. All right, let's keep going. Third thing here. I need the church, and the church needs me, so I will do everything it takes to strengthen unity. I will do everything it takes. Okay, verse 25, take a look. Verse 25, it says that there may be, you need to underline this, no division in the body. Okay, the Apostle Paul talks about this constantly. No division. He preaches, he teaches about unity constantly because unity destroys. And unity doesn't make Jesus look very good and it makes us look terrible. It says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Listen, the importance of unity in our church, it just cannot be overstated, right? It, it can't be. And I, I don't know, I have my stories, and I'm sure you have your stories too, of what happens when a church, you know, 
lacks unity, when that wedge of division starts to happen, what happens? Church is the worst. It's something that you don't want to be a part of. It's something that you don't want to come to. It's not, why would I, you know, you don't trust people and people don't get along and, you know, pretty soon we're so self-focused and, you know, it's not good. Okay, so we need unity. And the reality is a strong, uncommon community does not exist without it. It doesn't. All right, so what are some of the things that, that tend to get in the way of unity? Right? What, what are the things that, that ruin that and, and, and cause division? I mean, we just talked about one. We talked about comparison. Right? Comparison is one that, that kills unity. Well, I've got five more for you here. Five community killers. Five community killers. going to be on the screen. All right, here's the first one. Gossip and slander. Gossip and slander. Now, this should hopefully be, be obvious to you. Okay, but very few things ruin unity and kill community like gossip you know where you're talking about this person or about that person and when you do the you know the really lame and terrible job of pretending that you're doing it to to gain wisdom or to pray for that person no you're not you're sinning and it's wrong or slander you know that guy is so why is she so much like you know it's gossip it's it's awful and it hurts the lord and it and it hurts our church. Careless words tear down. Careless words tear down. Do you know that? Do you recognize when you do that, and do you repent of it? Do you turn from that, or do you just continue to go after it? Here's the thing. Gossip is fun. Gossip feels good because we love the power and the perceived sense of control of having information or or knowing something and having that and being able to lord that over other people. Unfortunately, what does gossip do? If I know that you're gossiping about me, what automatically happens? Well, I can tell you right now, I don't trust you as far as I could throw you. Right? I'm not, I'm not going to open up to you. I'm not, I'm not going gonna to tell you anything. Of course, it, it causes disunity and it causes you know, problems between people. Now, um, my wife worked at a camp right when we were first married um, it was called Tapawingo. It was on a it was on an island in upstate New York, uh, part of a greater uh, Christian camp and resort. And it was an all girls camp. And we got married. And like a month later, I was living on the island. I was the only guy living on the island. And uh, I would travel to the mainland to work. But one of the greatest things about this camp, and I loved it, is that every single week, the very first night of the camp, as these girls came from what was it, eight years old, nine years old, all the way up to like seventeen, is they would say, "Hey, listen, ladies." We have a no-gossip rule. It's just not happening here. So don't do it. And if you do it, you're going to get called out. All right? And what do you think happened as a result of that? Masks came off. And the ladies realized, wow, this is a safe place. And these young girls who had never experienced a safe and awesome environment like this because of maybe within, you know, the structure within their own home or in their school or in some sad cases in their own churches— they, they once experienced that this is, hey, this is a, a safe place for me to just be open and be honest. And the Lord did an amazing, amazing work. That's how seriously we need to take gossip. I don't know if you can tell, but I hate it. I hate gossip, and I do not want to put up with it. I don't want any one of us to put up with gossip in the church. It will destroy things faster than almost anything else. So here's what we need to do. Okay, if someone comes up to you 
And they're like, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about someone. You need to be like, hold on, hold on a second. Do I need to hear about this? Or do you need to go and talk to that person? Or is this something that you just flat out need to get over and move on? Right? That's often the case. Very few times probably do we really need to go talk to the person. Oftentimes it's just get a little bit thicker skin, let it roll off your back, move on. Right? But don't, you don't need to talk about it. You don't need to, you don't, you don't need to you know, darken my understanding and view of that person and cause what? Unity, disunity, and kill the community that we got going here. All right, so that's the first one, gossip and slander. Hate it. Here's another one. Critical spirit. Critical spirit. Now you could say, well, that doesn't that kind of sort of belong in the first category there? Yeah, I could, have, I could have done that. But the reason I gave it its own category is because this is something that we can do in our hearts without ever opening our mouths and gossiping. Right? A critical spirit. I, too, have my stories where a critical spirit has ruined a church. And people who come in and nothing's ever good enough and I'm going to constantly compare to the, to the church that I've you know, lived in and went to for you know, 25 years and why isn't this church like that? And you know, why is that person such a whatever? And you know, it's, it, you're thinking it in your heart and you're constantly critical and, and nothing meets your standards. Listen, that kills community. It kills it. You know, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe our church has a long way to go to figure some things out. Be a part of the solution. Don't be a part of the problem. Right? That kills, again, kills, kills, kills community. Here's the next one. Consumerist mindset. Consumerist mindset. So you've heard of this before. Right? Every pastor in North America you know, rally, rails against the consumerist mindset uh, at some point. Uh, usually multiple times. And this is the idea, again, this is born out of the culture that we live in, you know, where we, you know, can go to the mall and, you know, whatever I want, I pick and choose at the food court. And what do I feel like today? I feel like that, but not the other thing. Well, this whole mentality just infests the church. And people come in with the, with the, the idea or the attitude that, you know, what can the church do for me? As opposed to, what can I do for the church? How can I get involved? How can I serve? How can I be a blessing here? And instead, you have, you know, this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but you're, you're more of like a, like a leech than anything. And you come in, and it's like suck the, the life out of everything, but you're never willing to pour out what God uh, is pouring into you. You know, you're, you, you would rather withdraw than invest. Yeah, that's the consumerist mindset. Ultimately, what is it? It's selfishness. It's selfish. I'm at the center of my life. Everything exists to serve me. Wrong. Jesus is. Here's another one. Number four, half-hearted involvement. Half-hearted involvement's a community killer. We don't think of this very much. Maybe you haven't really considered that, and maybe you're thinking, well, wait a second, I'm, I'm involved here, and I come, you know, my attendance is pretty good, and I'm even, you know, part of a, of a small group, and I'm serving here and all of that, and, you know, on on the outside, yeah, everything does look great. But where's your heart in all of it? Is your heart involved? Is your heart invested? Do you, do you care about the Lord? Do you care about God's people? Do you care about the mission to glorify God and make disciples? Do you care about those things? Or is it like all external, and you're just checking off the boxes? Yep, went to small group, but half-hearted involvement means that you didn't do any of the prep before you got there. You didn't go over the questions. You didn't pray. You're not thinking about all this. You're showing up dry. Maybe your, your attendance is, is, is pretty sparse, and you're like, yeah, I'm part of a small group, but if you really kind of look back at, you know, the schedule over the last couple of months, yeah, I've been there like three times out of, you know, 15 times we've tried to meet. 
or, you know, something small comes up and, you know, you immediately, you know, cancel serving on a weekend? It's half-hearted involvement, right? We need each other. And this is, is a community killer. And again, I'm not trying to be harsh, but I am trying to call it out, right? And we need, we need to invest and our hearts need to be involved. We don't want to have, you know, be a church of, you know, sparse, attendance or minimal effort or anything like that. God gave us his best. Let's, let's give him ours, right? Let's go for this. You know, it's a joy to do it. Doesn't mean that it's, it's always easy. In fact, I will guarantee you that serving and getting involved and investing and all of that is hard. It's very hard. And you will be tested and your attitude will take a nosedive at times. And your priorities will be tested and all of it. But God created the body of Christ, you, for each other. And we need each other. Here's the last one. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Okay, this one is also a community killer because it means that you are not allowing other people to be right with you. And maybe someone has done something about, uh, against you. And, and listen, the reality is, is that that's happened multiple times over already in the life of our church, right? We, you know, whenever you get a group of people like this together in the room, we're all, you know, people who sin. And so you put people who sin together in the room, guess what? There's going to be friction, right? So I'm not trying to paint this like utopian picture of what the church is going to be, where like everything is perfect. And, you know, it's this like Zen-like experience where, you know, nothing is ever wrong and there's never a bad day or, or anything like that. No, I'm here to tell you, the Lord will tell you, it's hard. We spend an entire series talking about how life is messy and life is hard, right? And that's going to be the case in our church. And so, listen, it is imperative that we forgive, you're going to do something to me that, uh, that rubs me the wrong way, and I'm going to have to talk to you about it. I'm going to do something to you that rubs you the wrong way, and you're going to need to talk to me about it. And we need to be quick to forgive. And if we fail to do that, if we hold on to that anger, if we hold on to that bitterness and that lack of forgiveness, it shows what? It shows that we do not understand the gospel. Right? We do not appreciate that Jesus Christ forgave us of way more than we're holding against that person who hurt us. Right? Unforgiveness is a community killer. And so let me say this, all right? As clearly and as directly and as honestly as I possibly can, all right? If you are engaging in these kinds of behaviors here in our church and, you know, you've got these attitudes in your heart and you refuse to repent, let me just say this really carefully and really clearly, though. Please leave our church. Please leave. And I don't say that because I want to see, like, a mass exodus or anything like that. But, but I'm saying that because what we're trying to build here is something that honors Christ. We're trying to see the Lord build here something that glorifies him. We want to be a people who have the same mindset, have the same mission. We're going after the same goals in, in, in similar ways. We want to be a church that, that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just say this also in kind of a similar way. 
if you're not all that committed to our uncommon community, right, and you're not really invested here, let me just ask you this question. Why are you here? Right, well, why are you here? You know, you're just gonna, you're gonna feel appropriately uncomfortable, quite likely, because we're gonna continue to push and push and push because the scriptures do. To get involved, to serve, to be a part of the community of God here at Harvest Bible Chapel, to glorify him and honor him in every way. Listen, again, in the name of clarity, I would way rather have a church a tenth of the size of what we've got, but they're all people who love the Lord and love each other and committed to the mission here rather than a church of hundreds or thousands or whatever of people who backbite and hurt and and are involved in all kinds of slander and gossip that just drives wedges of disunity and kills community in our church and makes us worthless as a body. I would way rather have a small church that's great than a big church that is rubbish. Wouldn't you? This is what we need to go for, folks. This is what the Bible pushes us toward. This isn't my vision. This is God's vision for his church. Uncommon community isn't something I make up. This is something that we see in the scriptures. We see it here. We are all one body of Christ. We're all together in this. Let's not push and pull against each other. Let's not hack each other down. Let's not do this stuff. Let's be done with that garbage. And listen, let me say this. If you're sitting here and as the Spirit of the Lord is working on your heart and you're feeling conviction, here's your move. Repent. Your move is repent. I would say if you've been involved in any of those five things, those five community killers, all is not lost. Right? The Lord is in the business of redeeming people all the time. And if we repent and if we turn honestly in a heartfelt way to him, he will forgive us. He will heal us. He will strengthen unity. He will strengthen the community that he's building here. So I would challenge you and encourage you and push, do that. Repent. Don't just blow out of here and be mad because the pastor said something that you don't like. Repent. Soften your heart. Turn back to Christ. And invest in the people here. You are not an island, and neither am I. I love Proverbs 18, verse 1. This is so good and just, I think, really just gets at what we're talking about here today. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We're all the body, and we need each other. We need each other so that we can become the kind of church that glorifies God. Jesus Christ at the head, each person working together, each person valuable, strongest when we're working together. You want that? That's what I want. Would you join me in praying over the next seven weeks that this series would be uh, nothing short of a game changer for us? Nothing short of that. That the community that God builds here would be awesome. And let me give you a warning as as we will soon head out from here. Okay, this will get messy. Hey, this will get messy because the church is full of broken people like me. It's full of broken people like you. Again, we need to, it's not necessarily this, at least in the immediate, not this fairy tale mindset where everything is just all of a sudden awesome and rainbows and gundrops, right? It's not like that necessarily, right? Because sin starts to come to the surface. And we're starting to help people and we're discipling people and we're calling people to God's standard and we're encouraging people and drawing near. Listen, that gets messy. 
but it's good. 